the holy name of Jesus, amen. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I like being the insider. I like having friends. I like to be included. I mean, uh, don't you? Who wants to be alone? Every once in a while it's nice, but not for too long. Is there anyone who actually wants to be unloved? No. People who enjoy being rejected? People who enjoy being the outcast? They are the abnormal ones. Everyone wants to be a part of the group. Everyone wants to be a part of the club, even if it is a weird club. And there are all sorts of groups, and there are even groups for people who feel as if they have been cast out. Even the dorks and the dweebs and the nerds, whatever they are called today, they have uh, groups of their own too. And even the sparrow finds a home in the house of the Lord. I want to be part of something. So what then do I do with Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is cast out and rejected? Jesus eats his lunch alone, is picked last, and is completely kicked out. He comes to the world to love the world, to be God's love incarnate, in the flesh, in this world, and what happened to Jesus? He was despised, rejected, and cast out, crucified and buried, rejected absolutely 100%. No doubt about it. You cannot be more rejected than Jesus Christ was rejected, crucified outside the city walls. And that is who we want to follow. Seems like a bad idea to me. But it's hard to make sense of it, though, isn't it? It's the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the world, really. The Lord holds out his generous hand to the whole entire world, specifically to his people, and he brings his kingdom to them, brings them into his kingdom, gives everything that is needed for life, gives everything, even gives life itself, which is the one thing that we can't really quite control. We can't start it. We can't stop it from ending. And what is the reaction? Rejection. Given a world with everything needed for life. Given a world with the good life, 100% full of it. Well, we decided against it. We thought we'd find something more, something better elsewhere. And it isn't that the fall into sin in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's not that they were just like listening to the devil. It's that they rejected the Lord. They looked around and they surveyed the options and they said, well, what he's given us isn't really good enough. We'd rather have something else. It is a plain rejection of the Lord and his gifts. 
then it's not only that they just like reject what the Lord wants for them, but they blame God for giving them to us. Have you despised the gifts that the Lord has given to you? Have you blamed him for giving you, oh, I don't know, your wife, your family, your church, your livelihood, your life even? Well, repent. You are no different than your father and your mother, Adam and Eve. You are still given everything that is needed in this life, everything that is good for your life, and yet you look elsewhere for satisfaction. And has the Lord not given you enough? I know that he has because you're here today. Now why look anywhere else? Why reject him? You know what is right. And yet you do otherwise. Why is that? Well, it's a question that's kind of frightening to answer, actually. Why do we do what we know is wrong? Well, the answer is worse than we can even begin to know and understand. You are of your parents, Adam and Eve, and you are of your father, the devil. That's why. Because you're dead and dying and committed to that way of life, born dead, totally depraved. We'll celebrate the Reformation in a couple weeks. And the great gift of the Reformation, it's not really about the rediscovery of the gospel, but the realization that we are way worse off than we thought we were. During the Reformation, Luther and others uh, discovered again that we're way worse off than we thought, that we cannot save ourselves, you can't save yourself, you can't even begin to try to think about wanting to get out of your predicament because you reject Jesus and you reject God. It's really bad. And how often will you reject the Lord? Well, continually, and pretty much with every fiber of your being. He says you are forgiven. Not sure about that. He says you should do these things, but you have other things to do. He says that you are loved. Eh, but you don't know how anyone could love you. The Lord says that you are perfect and holy and without blemish. How can you really be sure? The Lord has baptized you into his name. He has baptized you into his own self. And yet you think that your identity would be better found elsewhere in some party or in some nation, something that's going to waste away and die. And you are devoted to the mechanisms of death, which this world is so obsessed do you think that the Lord is here to threaten you? Oh, why else would they have killed the servant in this story? Isn't it wonderful? The guy who owns the vineyard, he's leased it out to, these, uh, to the, the farmers and to the gardeners. And he says, well, well, yeah, you work in the vineyard, and then when it's time, I'll, I'll come and I'll collect the, the fruit. And then, 
and then we'll, uh, we'll make wine with it. What, what could be better? And then when it's time, he sends people, he says, hey, here we go. This is what we've been waiting for. We kill one, beat one, and stone the other one. He says, well, maybe, maybe they'll listen to my son. But they think that the Lord's against them. They think the Lord hates them and wants to get rid of them. And yet everything points to the complete opposite. He's employed these people, he's protected them, and now he's going to rejoice in this great feast and harvest with them. This is why the Sabbath is so important, too. You have to stop working in order to see that the Lord's world continues to go, go on without you toiling in it. Because you think that if you stop for one day, one hour, one minute even, everything will fall apart. It won't. Christ holds it all together. So come home. Come home, because God wants all his children home. And he sends his son to bring this good news to all those who are working, that this is the time for the harvest to be collected. The fruit is ripe and it's good. And we're going to make something beautiful with it and something wonderful with it. This is the time for the fruits of the Lord's labor and work to be harvested. And the harvest is plentiful. And what a harvest it is. The fruits of the Spirit are ripe. Do not be fools, but be filled with the Spirit. Rejoice and sing together. Rejoice with one another. Come home. Every single one of you, come. Those of you who have lots and those of you who have nothing, come. Because everything is provided. Come home and feast upon the goodness that the Lord is giving. Why bother with anything else? Some of you know that uh, the elders, the elders will be sending home, uh, sending letters to people who've been active, inactive here for a very long time. So if you're here and you get one, that's a, that's a mistake. Let us know. Please respond. Uh, pastor said this is not for me, you know, but uh, clerical er error, we'll call it. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna send letters to people because. We got a lot of people on the rolls that we haven't seen here in a long time. And uh, we're just saying, hey, it's time to come home. Come home. Are you, are you still interested or not? It's not a threat. It's not a threat at all. Although I assume that it will be perceived as such. Um, so when, 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 you go, when you go to seminary, when you go to pastor school, the first thing you do there you, uh, you take Greek class, and it's, it's kind of wild. It's the only thing you do. And uh, for months, all you do is learn Greek. You go in the morning, and you go in the afternoon. You start at like 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it's pretty wild. So uh, this, this one professor, and this is not about me, I promise. Uh, this one professor, he noticed that... Uh, that some of the students in class were not, were not coming to class. And uh, because that's what you do when you have like an 8 a.m. Greek class, even though it's the only thing you have to do, 
you know, you think, well, this is impossible. I'm not going to wake up for this thing. Um, so at, at the seminary, they had just installed telephones in the, the classrooms. Uh, this is how you know it's not about me because I'm not that old. But uh, this professor noticed that these particular students weren't coming to class. And uh, so one day, like 8 o'clock in the morning, as class is beginning, he notices they're not there. And he picks up the phone and he calls their, their dorm room. He says, um, hi, uh, this, this is Dr. Gibbs. Um, I just want you to know that we are having Greek class today. And I'd, I'd like to see you here. <laughs> so, so the student, uh, of course, he springs out of bed, uh, puts on a baseball cap, and, uh, and he's, is, is this a threat? What is this? He's horrified by this. But, but uh, the teacher just wants the guy to learn. He just wants him to, to come and to receive the goodness here. He's going to go on teaching whether or not the student's there or not. And, and that's, that's how it goes. What's, what's waiting for you when that call comes? Come home. Is it threats? Well, no, not at all. No, this is love. And so see that, that the good news here is that your rejection of the Lord and of his gifts and of his mercy and his love, your rejection does not void those gifts. It's going to go on. Your rejection of the Lord does not make him any less of a Lord. The feast will go on without you. For Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest, and he is the Lord of this feast. And this is his doing. It's not yours. The harvest will come. This is his doing. Not yours. He was despised and rejected. Cast out and crucified, the world had no use for him at all. They still don't. He's buried in a borrowed grave. We said we didn't want what he was giving. We had no use for mercy or for grace or for love. Oh well. Oh well. And yet he is raised from the dead. Not only that, he is the cornerstone of all things. We don't have one at this church. I don't know, maybe we should install one. It's a little late, but uh, old churches have these wonderful cornerstones, and they're the most beautiful stone, and they're often a different kind of stone, but they hold the, the theory is they're supposed to hold the thing together, and and they engrave the name of the church on it and uh, what year it was founded and all of these wonderful things. You've all seen church cornerstones. They're great and they're, they're put in prominent places. They're not hidden away. They're beautiful. That is what Jesus is. We rejected him. And yet, he is raised from the dead and has become the head of all things. You, you cannot outsin his love or his forgiveness. So come home. There's a fun little note after the reading ends, uh, after Jesus tells this parable. He says, look, the, the prophets 
were beaten to death and stoned and killed. The, the Lord of the universe has been holding his hand out to you for your whole entire life. And what did you do? Well, they, they kill him. But there's this awesome little note after Jesus tells this, this story. And, and it says that the chief priests and the Pharisees, they heard this teaching and they perceived that he was talking about them. Mm. Yeah. He's talking about you. Come home. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen.